Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. It's great to see you, by the way. I've been out of town for the past two Sundays, and it is just refreshing to be in the house of God with the people of God. I told uh, some of the gentlemen that I pray with before service, it's like being in a spa. When we, were in the, when we were in my office, we were praying. It was like being in a spa. It was so refreshing. I actually, I almost wanted to say, Bob, just go get everybody and bring them to the office so that they can be uh, in here with us. But the good thing is God's omnipresent. So the same God that was in that room is in this room. And I believe that he can change your life. I want to say it again. I believe that God can change your life. I believe that where you are currently is not where you have to stay. I want to, I want to talk to this side of the room. I believe that where you currently are is not where you have to stay. And things may be phenomenal right now. Like you may be thinking, man, life is good. Business is good. Marriage is good. Kids are doing good. I want you to know that it can get better. Exceedingly, abundantly, above. Somebody say above. All I can ask or think. You need to wrap your faith around that this morning. Camille, you got to wrap your faith around that fact this morning because it is through faith that we access the things of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It is through faith that we access the things of God. I, I saw a movie this week called The Skeleton Key. Has anybody ever seen The, the Skeleton Key? And basically the premise is, you know, there's all this voodoo witchcraft stuff happening in the movie. Uh, but it was not effective until she believed. The, the point is, the things of God are not effective in your life until you believe. Until you have faith that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Amen? Amen. So I don't know about you, but I believe things are going to get better. That doesn't mean things are going to get better around me, but things will always get better with me and inside me. Because no matter what I walk through, God has told me that I can prosper in every season of my life. If I'm planted like a tree by the river, what's the river? The presence of God. If I am flowing in the presence of God, I can prosper in every season. In famine, I can prosper. See, you need to understand, this, this isn't even a part of the sermon this morning, but you need to understand that if you are a child of God, you do not operate according to the system of the world. You operate according to the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is based upon increase. We are moving forward. We are the head, not the tail above, not beneath. So I don't care what's going on around me. I don't care what's going on in the economy. I know that I serve a God who has the ability to take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed a multitude. And if he can do it for them, he can do it for me. So God, just right now as I'm here, just multiply that ham and cheese in my refrigerator. I appreciate it. If you have a Bible, turn it to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. We've been in a series called Go the Distance. Sean kicked it off week one with a phenomenal message. Randy followed up last week talking about the heart of the father turned toward the heart of the children, the heart of the children turned to the heart of the father. Both messages were 
fabulous sermons. And I want to carry on with that thought, and I'm going to read to you 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, starting in the fifth verse. This is a passage of Scripture that I woke up to yesterday morning. In a dream that I had, I was sitting around a table with several ministers, and as we were talking, I quoted this Scripture to them, and I woke up, and I realized I need to take that Scripture and pull it into today's sermon. So 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, verse 5, the Bible says, As for you, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. Paul was not Timothy's biological father, but he was a spiritual father. He saw him like a son. He invested into him. And he says, as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Bring it to completion. Don't stop short. Go the distance. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got to go the distance. I want to read verse 5 to you one more time. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded, be clear-headed. Endure suffering. You know, it's amazing what you can endure when you know there's something better on the other side of your pain. Has anybody lived long enough to, to understand that statement? You can go through an immense amount of pressure and pain and survive it when you know there's something better on the other side. This past week we were out in Utah and we went to Zion National Park and there's a hike you do called the Narrows and it's a mile hike just to get to the Narrows and then once you get to the Narrows, it is a hike through a river, cold water. Turn to the person next to you, it's cold. And so my family and myself and everybody that was with us, we, we walk a mile to get to the river. We get in the ice cold water. As we walk, the water gets deeper. Your feet begin to go numb. And my four-year-old daughter at that moment decided, I don't like hiking. And I thought, I wish we could have had this talk before we came because I could have kept you at the house. And so she decided she did not want to hike any longer. And here we are in this freezing cold river. And, and when I say river, I mean moving water, wet stones. How many of you know what happens when you get on top of a wet stone? I mean, they tell you when you go on this thing, you need to have at least, you know, a, a, three liters of water with you. You need to have a walking stick with you. And so I had my camelback on. I had my water. I'm staying hydrated. I got my stick. But now my four-year-old daughter that doesn't want to hike any longer decides that I need to carry her. And so I decide I'm going to turn back at this moment because I realize the further I go, the further I've got to go in the other direction. So I pick her up. And I begin to carry her, and I begin to get tired. I begin to get worn out. I, uh, you may not be able to tell by looking at me, but I'm not in the best shape of my life. I'm getting worn out, but I knew 
on the other end of that trail, there was a restaurant <laughs> where I was going to get some hot wings. And then I knew after that restaurant, I was going to be soaking in a swimming pool. And so the entire time I'm walking, carrying my child, I'm thinking about the restaurant. I'm fixating my mind on where I am going, and it gave me the ability to endure where I am. It is important that you have something to focus on beyond where you currently are. Turn to the person next to you and say, you've got to focus on something beyond where you currently are. This message will change your life. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. This is an important message to hear. So Paul tells him, he says, as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering because you're going to have it. You're going to have pain. You're going to have difficult seasons. Learn to endure it to make it through to the other side. David would say it like this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he knows there's going to be some valleys he's got to walk through. He says, but when I go into it, I'm not going to camp out there. I'm not going to remain there because God is with me, and I believe he's going to take me through, and I'm going to find more green pastures. He says, endure suffering. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Get that. I have fought the fight. Timothy, some of the things that you're going to deal with, I've already dealt with. I've fought the fight. I'm standing on the other side. I've run the race. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have gone the distance. The big idea is we don't want to just start something. Because how many of you know starting is something that anybody can do? I don't want to just start. I want to finish well. And if I'm going to go the distance in life, I have to have a vision. Because a vision will produce three necessary things in my life that I want to deal with today. Tell the person next to you and say, you have to have a vision. Now let's go to 2 Kings, the sixth chapter. I'm going to start reading in verse 8, and this story is going to be a launching pad for the message. 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, verse 8, the Bible says, Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus, he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, there's a rat in the camp. Somebody is going and telling the king of Israel everything that we're planning to do. I want to know who it is. And one of the servants said in verse 12, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet, the seer. That's what you need to understand about a prophet. A prophet is a seer. 
He says it's Elisha the prophet, the seer who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. That's right outside of Euphala on your way to Panama City. Many of you have passed through there. That's where Elisha is chilling out. Verse 14, so he went there. He sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I can imagine the servant at this time is thinking, it's me and you, bud. There is an entire army surrounding us. They're here to kill us. This makes no sense. How many of you understand that it doesn't have to make sense? Many times we get caught up in a situation because we're trying to make sense of a situation. Instead of trying to figure it all out, the Bible talks about not leaning on your own understanding, but trusting God. And if you'll trust God, if you'll acknowledge God, he will see you through it. He will always make a way where there seems to be no way as long as you trust him and do not lean on your own understanding. Elisha is about to take the servant to school. The servant's freaking out here. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? There's an army around us. Elisha says, chill out, bro. There's more for us than those that are against us. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. I want him to see what I can see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What is fascinating to me about this story is the army of heaven that the servant now sees was always there even when he could not see it. I want you to think about that for a moment. The army of heaven was always there even though he could not see them. And what we are seeing play out here is the difference between sight and vision. Sight deals with what I can see in the natural. It's what I can observe with my natural senses. It's how I see my marriage right now. It's how I see my finances right now. It's how I see the current situation I am in right now. All the servant could see was the enemy that surrounded him. And because of that, he was ready to give up on life. He was ready to surrender. He was ready to throw in the towel. He was ready to point fingers at Elisha and say, here's the guy you want to take. You know, 
he's ready to give up because of his sight, because of what he saw in the natural. Many times we get frustrated with life because we're looking with the wrong eyes. We are seeing with our sight, with our natural senses, but vision, somebody say, but vision. Vision is seeing from God's eternal perspective. It's the ability to step beyond what I see in the natural to see things the way God sees them. That's what happened when God opened the servant's eyes. He then saw what was always there. And it's important for us, if we're going to go the distance in life, to understand the difference between sight and vision. Because my sight will limit me. But vision opens up a whole, Aladdin would say, a whole new world. A whole new (laughs) world. Because if I have a vision, I can move beyond where I am. But if I do not have a vision, please get this. If I do not have a God-centered vision for my life, I will live stuck where I currently am. Think about this. For years, when people traveled, they traveled by foot or animal because they could not see a better option. Christopher Columbus had to sail the ocean blue because he could not see an airplane. Now, follow me this morning. Everything needed for an airplane or an automobile was already in the earth from the moment that God said, let there be. All the elements needed to put together the automobile, all the elements needed to put together the airplane were there from day one. Am I right or am I wrong? The problem is they, at that time, could not see it, and so it caused them to live stuck where they were. They had to ride the donkey. They had to ride the boat. They had to walk because they could not see anything better. That is huge because if you cannot see anything better than what you already have, you will live stuck with what you got. A perfect case study of this from Scripture is the children of Israel. God brings them out of bondage and says, I'm going to take you into a land. It's going to be phenomenal there. There's going to be plenty of food. It's just going to be good. It's going to be lush. Milk and honey everywhere. Flowing like the salmon of Capistrano. Dumb and dumber. Uh, (laughs) It's going to be good. So what they do is they send 12 spies to go check out this land. Here's the problem, Paul. When they come back, when the 12 spies come back, instead of painting a vision on the canvas of everyone's heart and mind of what God has made available about the goodness of the land and the fruit that they saw and and the lush grass and the waters and how wonderful it is, instead of producing a vision, they produced fear because they told everyone about the giants that were there because that's what they could see. And because of the fear that they lived in, it caused them to be stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. They did not obtain what God said that they could have because they did not have a vision. They did not have the ability to see beyond the giant. They did not have the ability to see beyond the obstacle. Here's what you got to get. If you cannot see beyond your obstacle, you will remain in your obstacle. 
If you cannot see beyond the problem you are currently in, you will remain in that problem and it will be a vicious cycle over and over and over and over again. That's why when sometimes when people get in a bad relationship, if they exit that relationship, they'll get into another one that's equally bad. You know why? Because they cannot see anything different. So they repeat the same behaviors. They make the same decisions. They have the same patterns. But if I can have a vision, if I can have a God-centered vision of what he says about me, about my family, about my marriage, about our church, about our community, about our world, then it gives me something to focus on beyond where I currently am, and I will not get stuck. So here's the three things that vision will produce. Are you ready? One, vision allows me to discover what I cannot see. Vision allows me to discover what I cannot see, just like the servant in the story. Vision allowed him to see the armies of heaven that were surrounding him and pulled his attention off the enemy that was there to destroy him. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, verse 9, says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. First, let me stop there. For those of you who are educated, if you add an ED to the end of a word like prepare and it becomes prepared, what does that mean? It's already been done. So the first thing we need to understand is God has already prepared something for you. He has something prepared for your family. He has something prepared for your finances. He has something prepared for your future. I may deal with the future next week because it's important. If we have no hope for the future, then we have nothing to wrap our faith around. And if you don't have anything to wrap your faith around, you die where you are. So God's already prepared something for you. Better than you could think or imagine. So, so the, the, the scripture right here is saying there are some things that you have not seen yet. There are some things that you have not heard about yet. There are some things that have not entered into your imagination yet that God has already prepared. Here's the problem. If it's prepared and I can't see it and I can't hear it and I can't think about it, how do I get it? Verse 10 solves the riddle. Verse 10 says, these things, what things? The things that God has prepared for you. He has revealed them to you, how? By the Spirit. There are things that you cannot see with your natural senses that the Holy Spirit can reveal to you. He can show you things that you cannot imagine on your own. He can paint a vision on the canvas of your heart that will change your life. I have uh, my brother's father-in-law. He was a commercial fisherman. And there was a time where the fish stopped biting. And so if you're a fisherman and fish aren't biting, how many of you know your family's going to struggle? That's what's going on in South Florida. The fish stopped biting. The difference between him and some of the other men was he had a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told him, you need to take your boat down to such and such place. And so he followed the instructions of the Spirit. He goes down to such and such place. 
He starts catching fish. No one else is. Then he has this bright idea. It occurs to him. I would say the Holy Spirit planted it in his heart that since no one else is catching fish, he should take the fish he has caught, box them up in his pickup truck on some ice, and take them and sell them to the distributors. From that, he grew a multi-million dollar company supplying fish all over the place. If you go to Whole Foods and you buy fish, you're getting fish from him. If you go to the Buckhead Group restaurants and buy fish, you're getting fish from him. Multi-millionaire. Went from struggling, having nothing, to being very wealthy. Why? Because the Spirit revealed to him something that he could not see on his own. This is important. It is so vital that we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit because he is the one that gives us the vision we need. Are you with me? So there are some things that God has prepared for you that he will reveal to you. And once you have a vision of it, you can wrap your faith around it and pray into it until it becomes your reality. And I'm not going to stay where I am when I know there's something better out there. Does that make sense to you? Like, why would I settle for this if I know God has prepared this? Why would I settle for an abusive, broken relationship when I know that God has something better for me? And, And sometimes, hear what I'm saying, sometimes that better is not a different relationship. Sometimes it's just seeing the relationship you're currently in through the lens of God and seeing what he can do and the healing he can bring to where you are. Too many times we bail ship. Why? Because we can't see anything better. But if I allow God to show me what marriage can look like, what, what it looks like to be a godly husband, what it looks like to be a godly father, if I can lean into that and allow him to mold me and shape me and change me, then the things around me will begin to change. But I've got to see something better. Somebody say, I've got to see something better. If you've been around here any length of time, you'll know that I enjoy boating. Uh, being on a boat is my happy place. As a matter of fact, yesterday we went out to Altoona And when I got out of the water, I was like, oh, thank God. You know, I just spent two weeks in an amazing place, all these national parks, but nothing made me as happy as being on that boat floating in Altoona because it's my happy place. I've always liked boats. I've always liked being on the water. Years ago, Randy, who is our worship pastor, his parents lived on a pond, but it was kind of a large pond. It was the type thing that you could have a John boat. And so Randy, uh, his dad had a John boat. And one night, Randy and I were there. We were teenagers. His parents were out of town, which is a recipe for disaster. And, you know, we're hanging out, and it gets late. And we decide, let's take the John boat for a spin. And so we get out on this John boat, and Randy's <laughs> rowing us across the pond, and he comes up on this dock, and he says, this is my uncle's house, and so he gets out on the dock and does a little dance, then he gets back into the boat, and we float over to the dam, then he gets out on the dam, that feels liberating to be able to say dam in church in a a proper way, He, he gets out on the dam, and he does another dance, then he gets back in the boat, and all of a sudden, Paulden County's finest pulls up. And the sheriff gets out, (laughs) and he's like, what are y'all doing? We just got a report of somebody, 
you know, getting on a dock. And Randy was like, oh, that's my, that's my uncle. And so the, the sheriff says, well, we've got to go over there and talk to him. And so the sheriff's about to get in his car. Randy says, well, why don't you ride with us? The sheriff gets in the John boat <laughs> with Randy and I, and we row across the pond over to his uncle's house, and everything's cleared. Here's the point of that story. There was a time in my life that being in a John boat on a pond was okay with me. But now I've been on some big lakes. I mean, this past week we were on a lake, I think it was like, it's like 190,000 square miles. To put it in perspective, Altoona is like 17,000 square miles. This is a big lake, and I've been on big boats with big motors. And now I no longer will be satisfied with a John boat. It would be boring to me because I know there's something bigger and better out there. Does that make sense to you? Sometimes we get comfortable. We get comfortable and settle into less than what God has made available because we haven't seen the bigger boat. We haven't seen the bigger waterways. But Camille, if I can just allow the Spirit of God to begin to reveal those things to me and show those things to me and produce an appetite and a hunger inside of me for the things of God, then I'm never going to settle. I'm not going to settle for depression when I understand that joy is mine. I'm not going to settle for controversy when I understand that peace is mine. I'm not going to settle with sickness when I understand that healing is mine. It belongs to me as a child of God. My Father loves me and God is good. You need to know that God is good and he has good things prepared for you. So the first thing the vision does is it, it allows me to see what I could not see before. It allows me to see what I could not see before. Lord, open my eyes. Can you just say that right now? God, open my eyes. Show me your way. Show me your way. Show me the things that you have for me. Because some of you are headed in a direction in your life that it's okay, it's not sinful, but God has something so much greater for you. And if he'll, you'll allow him to show you, he'll shift you into the purpose into the ministry, into the calling. All of us have a ministry. Did you know that? See, if you think this is the only form of ministry, you've missed it. We all have a ministry to fulfill, and we need to go the distance in it, but we can't go the distance in it if we don't know what it is. We've got to have a what? Vision. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Vision gives me direction. Vision gives me direction. Proverbs 29, 18, very popular passage, says where there is no vision... The people perish. What's that mean? It means you, you die where you are because you can't see anything better. Another translation says it this way, where there is no prophetic vision. That means it's got to be a God-centered vision. Where there is no God-centered vision, the people cast off restraint. In other words, they just go through life aimlessly. No clear direction. They're expending a lot of energy, but they're not really making any kind of of difference because they don't have a clear vision. And if you don't have a clear vision, you will waste time, you will waste money, you will waste resources, you will waste relationships because you simply don't know where you're going. You have to know where you are headed. Please get this. You have to know where you're headed. That does not mean that you have all the details 
Does that make sense to you? I may not have all the details, but I do have a direction. I know the direction I'm wanting to go in. And so if anything in my life does not come into agreement with where I am wanting to go, I need to sever it from my life. Doesn't mean it's sinful for me to do it. The Apostle Paul says, you know, there are a lot of things that are lawful for me to do, but it's not beneficial to me. It's not beneficial to the direction I'm going in my life. So, so maybe there are friendships that I need to cut off because they're not in agreement with where I'm going. Maybe there are some decisions that I am making that I need to change because those decisions aren't going to take me where I want to go. If you've been a part of this church for over the past year or so, you've heard me say decisions lead to destinations. What that means is the decision I make here right now will take me somewhere. And so if I have a vision for where I'm wanting to go, then I can start here by making the correct decisions that will get me there. Does that make sense to you? Like if, let's say I want a godly relationship. I want a godly marriage. I want to be a godly husband and a godly father. In the future, let's assume I'm single. In the future, that's who I wanna be. That's the direction I want to go in. Then I need to start making godly decisions right here. I don't wait to get here to start making some changes. I start making the decisions right here, right now, that will get me to where I want to go. It is much easier to build on a good foundation than it is to have to go all the way back, fix the cracks, get it repaired, and then start building. The problem is many of us do not make good decisions because we really don't know where we're going. And like I said, it's not, it's not mapping out all the details like, you know, well, I'm going to graduate at this time, then I'm going to go to this school, then I'm going to get this degree, and then I'm going to do this. And it's not about having all the details. It's just the general direction. I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly businessman. I want to be someone who prospers, and I want to be someone who is blessed so that I can live to be a blessing. And all of those things that I want to go into have decisions that I need to make right now. How am I going to handle the money I have right now? It's amazing, you know, growing up in church, people come write my dad a check, million dollars, here's for your church. Don't cash it. Well, why? You don't want me to cash a check? No, 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 I, I don't have the million dollars yet. But when I get that million, Bishop, I want you to know I'm going to call you, and you can cash that check. Well, that, that's fraud. You, you can't do that legally. <laughs> you can't just write checks, you know. Faith checks. I, I don't understand faith checks. Faith is not writing a check for what you don't have. Faith is starting with what I already got. I only got $10 in the bank, but God, I believe that you're taking me in a direction, and so here's a dollar. Does that make sense to you? So many times we say, I'll do this when I get there. Don't wait till you get there. Start doing something with what you already got. Start working on the marriage you already have. Because if you don't work on the marriage you have right now, you're going to have to work on the next marriage you get into. Hello? That's why people end up getting married five, six times. It's because you didn't start here 
working on what you got. Start making decisions here that will lead you into the direction you're wanting to go. But the only way to get a good direction is to have a clear God-centered vision. Somebody say a vision. Gives me direction. The, the, the next thing is, and the final thing, is that vision produces endurance, which is huge. Endurance is huge because life is tough. Life will throw you curveballs. And if you do not how, know how to endure, you're going to give up. King David said it this way in Scripture. He says, I would have given up. I would have lost heart, which means I would have thrown my hands in the air. Because how many of you know David went through some difficult seasons? He, he lost children. He had friends that became enemies. He had people that he served and honored that tried to kill him. David had a tough life. And he says, I would have given up. Jim, I would have, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What's he saying? I'll get past this because I believe I'm going to see. Oh, I feel that. I'm going to get past this moment. This is not a life sentence. This is just a season because I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord right here, right now in the land of the living. I'm not going to wait until I get to the sweet by and by to start experiencing the goodness of God. Some of us have missed this whole Christianity thing because we just think it's about getting us to heaven. It's not just getting us to heaven. It's bringing heaven here. That's why Jesus said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. We have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit and our connection to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ to bring heavenly things down to our earth. We are the agents of change that the world needs. It's not a politician. It's not a voting system. It's not getting a new president. It is when the church stands up and becomes the church and stops complaining and griping and starts praying and warring in the spirit. That's when things will happen. That's when things will change. Should we vote our, our, our conscience? Yes, absolutely. That, that's a privilege we have in the United States of America is to vote however you feel you should vote. But the bottom line is, as a Christian, first and foremost, I have to believe that the God I serve has the ability to shift and change things. And so instead of complaining, I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust. Why? Because I have a vision for the future. It's not always going to be this way. And even if I die, when my eyes are open, I see Jesus face to face. I win. I win because this is just a season. This is just a moment. Vision produces endurance. I've told you the story before of Florence Chadwick. She decided to swim 26 miles from the California coast to the Catalina Islands. And as she gets out there, she's trained, she's ready. She gets out there, she starts swimming. The rescue boat's there with her. And a fog rolls in. If you've ever been to that part of California, the fog is tremendous. I rode my motorcycle over the Golden Gate Bridge, and the wind is so strong that it, it'll bump your motorcycle. And that fog, you'll see it roll in over the hills, and it gets thick. It's very dense. 
And so as she's swimming, this fog rolls in, and she can no longer see where she's going. And she begins to get tired. And she eventually gives up. And the rescue boat pulls her in. And when they get her on the boat, they said, why did you stop? You were so close to the shoreline. And she said, I stopped because I couldn't see it. So she decided, I'm going to do the swim again. So the next time she gets out to swim, same thing happens. The fog rolls in. She cannot see. But she keeps on swimming. She keeps on pushing. And when she reaches the coast, they asked her, what's the difference between this time and the first? And she said, this time I saw the coast on the inside. I saw it on the, I couldn't see it here, but I could see it here. And it gave me the endurance to push through. When life gets difficult, you have to have a vision to pull you through it. Thirteen years ago, I was in California. Same trip that I rode the motorcycle across the Golden Gate Bridge. My wife and I were out there. We did not have children at the time. We were not planning on having children at the time. I mean, eventually we were going to have kids. I'm saying at that time we were not planning on having children. And I had a dream. And in this dream, I saw a little red-headed girl with blue eyes standing in a crib. I woke up. I thought, that's, that's kind of a strange dream. I don't really get it. When we got back home after the trip, we found out that Ashley was pregnant. As she's going through her pregnancy, I don't know if she remembers this part, but one day we were at my grandparents' house. We were eating lunch, and we were about to leave, and my grandfather stopped us. And for those of you who know my grandfather, he didn't really speak unless it mattered. And he stopped us. And he said, that child will not be stillborn. That's what he said to us. Kind of an odd thing to say, like, after you eat lunch, he said, that child will not be stillborn. Fast forward a few months, we get to the point to where every week you have to go for a weekly checkup to the doctor. And so we go in for a weekly checkup, and something's wrong. They're not giving us details, but something's wrong. They put Ashley in a wheelchair. They take us downstairs. They start hooking machines up, and they're wanting to look at the baby's heart because the baby's not growing anymore. Something's wrong. The baby's not being fed. We don't know what's going on. The baby probably ha may have something wrong with its heart. We, we need to induce. So we go through that process of inducing. Things aren't working out. The, the baby's blood pressure and heart rate, it's going crazy. Every, so they're like, we need, to, we need to move forward with this process. And so people around us are panicking. In-laws are crying because we don't know. Our, our first child that, that we're about to have, we have no idea what's going on, Bob. Everybody's freaking out. But I remembered the dream. And I, re I remembered the word that my grandfather spoke. And I wrapped my faith around it. And as I was walking through the hospital halls all by myself, I was thanking God. I was thanking God. And guess what? We had a baby girl with red hair and blue eyes. She was four pounds. How many ounces? Fifteen ounces. Tiny. So they rush her to the NICU. Put her in the NICU. They hook her up to all this stuff in there. Because they got to check her out. They got to find out why, why this baby's so tiny. Guess what? all is well. No heart issues, perfectly healthy baby. She's just small. 
Later, I find out that my wife was praying, God, I want a really small baby. <laughs> here's, what I, here's what I'm saying. Your story may be a little bit different than that, but everybody's got a, a story of crisis. And if you don't have one or haven't had one, chances are at some point in life you will have something. The question is, how do you respond? When that happens, how do you respond? Do you freak out? Do you panic? Do you have fear? Or do you step in faith and go, I know in whom I believe, and I am persuaded that he's good, and all things are in his hands, and I've got a vision produced by the Spirit of God that something better is going to come from this because all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. I love God. I'm called according to his purpose. Something good's on the other end. It's really all about what you look for. I've told you about the pessimist son and the optimist son, haven't I? This dad had an optimist son and a pessimist son, and he thought, you know, I'm going to mix this up because this kid's always happy, this kid's always sad. So he takes the kid that's always happy, and he puts him in a room full of manure, Takes a, the, the kid that's always sad, puts him in a room full of presents. He stands outside the door waiting to hear the sad son rejoicing, opening gifts, and he hears nothing but silence, and he opens the door and says, son, what's wrong? I got you all these gifts. He says, yeah, but think about all the mess that the, the wrapping paper will make. In the meantime, he hears the happy son laughing in the room full of manure. And he goes over and hears the, the kid shouting and singing and laughing and he opens the door and says son what's wrong with you you're in a room full of manure he said yeah dad but with all this manure around there's got to be a horse somewhere <laughs> see what i'm saying it's perspective so how do i get a vision let's do this really quickly because I, I, I can't just bring you all this vision talk and not tell you how to get a vision it's really more simple than you think the first thing is this you have to immerse yourself in the word of god you have to. It's not optional. You're not going to get a vision, a God-centered vision, apart from the Word of God. The Word of God is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shows me what I cannot see on my own. It is the primary way that God speaks to us as believers. Did you know that? If you get into the Word properly and you start studying Scripture properly and you are prayerful in it, you'll start hearing the voice of the Spirit speaking to you in what you're reading. What's he doing? He's leading, he's guiding, he's shaping, he's molding. That's first and foremost, you have to be in the Word of God. Secondly, you have to be a person of prayer. You have to have communication with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals. Jesus says when the Spirit comes, he will reveal. So that's what the Spirit does. He reveals to us the things that we cannot see, the things we have not heard, things that have not entered into our imagination. The Spirit of God reveals it to us. So I have to have communication with the Spirit. The third thing that's very practical that I can do is start hanging out with visionaries. Hang out with people who have good vision. Listen to people that have wise counsel and understand vision because what they have tapped into will rub off on you. One of the greatest things of my life and the greatest opportunities of my life has been being able to be around some of the greatest visionaries in the world when it comes to ministry. I've been able to be with them. I've been able to see how they think, how they operate, how they talk, how they respond. I've been able to see their generosity. And through that, it was molding me. And at a young age, I started producing 
vision, and I started sketching things out and drawing things, and I had a direction for my life. I didn't have the details. If you would have asked me back 15 years ago if I'd be pastoring a church, I would have said no, because I was comfortable where I was. I thought that was going to be the rest of my life, but I had a vision for things that God was going to do. I thought he was going to do it through my father's church with me there, but now I see the vision that I had 20 years ago is being produced here and now. Vision is important. Would you stand with me? Thank you for enduring with me. I love that topic. I love vision because vision changes everything. Vision changes everything. You want to change your life, change how you see. And when I say change how you see, I'm not talking about your natural sight. Your natural eyes can only see what they can see. But when he talks about Elisha, the prophet, being a seer, he's not seeing with this. He's seeing with that eternal perspective. You want to know how a prophet sees? A prophet sees like this. Some of y'all will catch that. A prophet sees like this. Some of us are so busy scrolling Facebook, scrolling Twitter, TikToking, doing all the things we do, watching the news. We're spending our whole world like this. We're seeing the problems in our relationships, problems in our home, the problems in our marriage, problems in our finances, and all we're doing is looking at it with this, and we're trying to figure it all out, we're trying to sort it all out. God's saying, if you'll start looking at it like this, what does that mean? I'm going to get in prayer. I'm going to get in the Word. I'm going to allow God to start showing me things that I can't see on my own. I'm going to allow Him to give me a vision that I can wrap my faith around. And once I've got my faith wrapped around it, because I have a hope for the future, I'm going to start praying into it. And I'm going to believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. Today I wake up and God, I thank you for allowing me to see the goodness of you right here, right now. God, I thank you for pulling me into the future you have prepared for me. God, I thank you for making me the man you've called me to be, the husband you've called me to be, the father you've called me to be, the leader you've called me to be, the businessman you've called me to be. God, I thank you for bringing me into that place. I thank you, Lord, that I am whole and I am complete. I am lacking nothing. Good things chase me down. The only thing allowed to follow me is goodness and mercy. That's how I see. That's how I see. I could spend hours here, guys, talking about this and sharing personal stories. Things would, man, things that would blow your mind. But God. But God, but God shows up every time. And that's why when things get difficult, yeah, I mean, you get, you get a little, you know, everybody, that's, that's normal. But deep down, I know, God, you're going to make a way where there seems to be no way. And if it doesn't work out the way I think it should work out, that means you've got something better planned. Do you know how many people have failed in a certain area? 
only to find a greater success in a different one. Because they never gave up where they were. They became pliable. Bruce Lee said, you got to be fluid like water. That's true. You've got to learn how to allow the Spirit of God to move you and direct you and lead you where you need to be. Stop being so rigid. Some of you have a plan, but you have no vision. Get rid of your plan and get a vision. There's a difference between a plan and a vision. It's not, it's not wrong to have plans and set goals, but there's a difference between having plans and having a vision. A vision is a direction that I'm going in that I don't know the details of yet. Father, every single person in this place, I'm asking that you would begin to deal with their heart. And Lord, I'm asking that you would begin to speak to them and show them things that they cannot see on their own. Father, produce a vision on the inside of them that will drive them in the direction that you would have them to go. Father, I'm asking that you would begin to plant dreams in their life for their business, for their family, for their children. God, even for the grandchildren that they may not have yet, God, start producing a life-giving vision that will take us in the direction that you have for us. If there's anyone in here this morning that they, you've got something specific that you want prayer for, if you would just take your hand and lay it over your heart right now as a sign of your agreement. We as a church come into agreement with you right now in the name of Jesus. And God, we ask that you would meet every single person at the point of their need. Lord, whatever it is, we know that nothing is too big for you. Nothing is too difficult for you. Lord, you always show up and make a way where there seems to be no way. God, you are always good to your children. Lord, you are always faithful. Lord, for those who have not received you, or God, those in here, maybe they have rejected you. God, today I'm asking that you would overwhelm them with your love. And I'm asking that you would soften their heart. Lord, to pull them into the purpose that you created them for. And what the enemy meant for evil in their life and what the enemy has used to try to destroy them and has used to try to deceive them. God, I'm asking that you would break that off of them right now in the name of Jesus and let them find freedom. Lord, let them find freedom in you. No more bondage. No more being held back. In Jesus' name. God, every single person in this room that's sick, we ask that you would heal them. Lord, those that are watching online, if they're sick, God, we ask that you would touch them right now. Father, as things in the world go haywire, we do not shift our focus to that, but we remain confident that you always do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think as long as we're willing to ask in faith. So Lord, we ask today that you would continue to prosper us. Lord, continue to make things go well for us. And I want to say this, this may apply to someone in the room. 
Sometimes when you find yourself in a dry season that you think is leading to your devastation, God has actually allowed it to dry up so that he can move you to where you need to be. So the dry season is not always a bad place. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes the dry season you are in is because God is trying to change your direction. You see that in the story with the widow of Zarephath. He had to dry up the brook and stop the ravens from bringing the food so that he could send the prophet to the widow. And the prophet met the widow's need and the widow met the prophet's need. But it would have never happened unless the brook dried up. So for anyone that's going through a dry season, God, if they need to move, if they need to shift, if they need a new direction, then God, I'm asking that you would show that to them. And I thank you, Lord, that the seasons we walk through are not life sentences. And I thank you for the hope and the future that you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name, and everyone would say, amen.